Thank you for tuning in to a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy. All right, well, anyways, welcome to Centerpoint Church. My name is Aaron Master. I'm the pastor here. Our mission here is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We do here what any good Christian church should do, which is to help you connect with God in a worshipful way and help you grow in your relationship with Him. Our style just might be a bit different than what you're used to or other churches in the area, but we're still true to the Bible here. We take God very seriously and want to guide you and encourage you in your weekly walk with Him. This week, we're continuing a, a series that we've been calling Carry the Torch. Last week, I mentioned I'm all about torches. I'm all about fire. Bigger the flame, the better. Well, it's still on my mind. It's still on my mind amidst this series. This weekend, I was hoping for one of these with, like, the snow that was coming around. You know, like, I wanted one of these to, like, kind of clear my driveway. Sounds awesome, right? Looks awesome. But again, it's a flame that dwindles quite quickly when you're not intentional about fueling it. I think a flame like this is similar uh, to what many of us maybe experience with God or when it comes to following God. A flame that comes hot and blasting, but fizzles out without consistent fuel. So today and for this series, when we talk about carrying the torch, our series name, we mean keeping a consistent flame and belief in what Jesus did and told us to do before our time here is done on earth. And specifically, we will be addressing how do we keep the flame going forward after our time here on earth, because God wants it to be carried it says in Psalm 145.4, it says, One generation shall pass your works to another and shall declare your mighty works. Have you thought about that before? Have you thought about are you carrying the torch of faith? Or in other words, living a life that has faith evident in it. Is your family one that does that? Is your church family or are we doing that as a church? How do you carry the torch of faith? That's what we're hoping to answer throughout the series and hoping to address some of those questions. To live aimlessly or to kind of just wing church or wing faith is never our goal here. There are actually clear directions in the Bible that the church and God's people should advocate for that every Christian or every church should do. There's actually a network of churches that follow the basics of this monomic uh, statement, what every church or what every Christian should do. It's from Saddleback Church. Uh, Rick Warren was the pastor of that. Uh, he wrote Purpose Driven Life. And they kind of broke it down into these categories, what every church should do, worship, evangelism, community, serving, and discipleship. These are core actions of the church developed directly from Scripture. And to carry the torch of God is to model each of these in your daily life. Sure, there's a lot of other things churches can do and also do, but most fit under one of these main categories. This week, we're talking all about serving, serving, which, which brings to the question, would anyone ever say they know you for carrying the torch of serving, of putting others first, of, of being servant-like? I don't know about you, but unfortunately for me, I don't think that describes what many people think of me. I mean, to be known for serving it's pretty rare these days, right? To be known for someone that's a servant-like, it's pretty rare. Today is actually quite the opposite of what people are known for. Today it's a lot about self. It's about who you are. It's about Instagram followers or subscribers or likes on Facebook. It's about success 
or personal achievement or personal advancement. It's about the achievement you've been able to accomplish. It's about being the greatest. I mean, it's a thing these days to be the GOAT. Everyone wants to be the GOAT. Do you know what the GOAT is? Anybody know what the GOAT is? All right, the GOAT is the greatest of all time. Is it like something that people will say or is dropped in ca casual conversation? These are, uh, I think, what happens with a bunch of random dudes that get together. They discuss this or, or on the internet, this is a big conversation a lot, is who is the greatest of all time in, in multiple different areas. So I thought I'd throw a few at you. Kobe or LeBron? Uh, 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 no, there's just two <laughs> options. There's two options. Star Wars or Star Trek, greatest of all time, uh, Bird or Jordan, uh, uh, Larry Bird or Jordan, uh, Tom Brady or any other quarterback, oh, Jackson 5 or Hanson, uh, uh, maybe, uh, Favre or Rodgers, Edward or Jacob, I think that was like a debate, so maybe guys don't discuss all of these, like, these discussions, or who's the greatest. But the point is, we like to label the GOAT, the greatest of all time, the greatest athlete, performer, appearance, most skilled, accomplished, talented, whatever. And it doesn't just carry over to celebrities, but also us. We tend to pursue or want to be the greatest. Greatest at work, greatest at home, greatest on the team, in the class, on the app, amongst the group. This is the age-old struggle and desire that even the early followers of Jesus had, and Jesus corrected. Uh, and it starts in kind of a pretty comical way with Jesus. It's in the book of Matthew, and it starts with a mother, actually, making a request for her sons to be the greatest in heaven. Side note, if you're ever relying on your mother to be the one that makes you great, you're definitely not the greatest. I'm just letting you know on that part. But what it says, though, in, in Scripture, Matthew 20, and we're going to look at this for a little bit. In Matthew 20, 20, it says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and, kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Well, Jesus gives her a respectable response instead of, like, shooing her away, like, get away from me. Uh, he says, you don't know, in verse 22, you don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. I love this part. Like, we can, they answered. Again, I love how the guys are answering, even though the mom's the one that's having the discussion. It's very typical these days. But Jesus says to them in verse 23, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. And he kind of just lets it go. He kind of just lets that go. But then all of a sudden, Jesus' other disciples find out what's going on. They find out about this request that was made. And, and you know what happens amongst them? It's like, it's like the time, like, you know, where that person in the office kind of starts schmoozing with the boss. And all of a sudden, you're like, something's up here. Or, or tries to get ahead by doing something kind of shady. Or, or even when, you know, like, think of your own family. When one child asks, like, mom, and then mom says no, and then all of a sudden you're like, I think I'm going to go ask dad. And, like, now all of a sudden a fight's breaking loose. Yeah, things break out amongst the disciples. It says this in verse 24. When, they heard, when the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. I imagine Jesus' disciples are like, who are you guys? They, like, think that you could be the right and the left, the best, like, right next to Jesus. Peter's probably like, I'm the one that walked on water. Come on, I got to be, like, on the right. And they're like, Peter, psh you like felt like after three steps. 
And then Bartholomew is probably like, it, it's me. People like me. People, pe-. And then people are like, we don't even know who you are. We didn't even know you were a disciple. And then Matthew's like, well, what about me? I've made some big changes in my life. And they're like, we still don't like tax collectors. Yeah, get away. And Judas is like, maybe me. And then they're like, no. A little Bible humor for you. But verse 25, it continues. It says, Jesus called them together when he hears this bickering. He said, you know that the rulers of Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Ye. Jesus corrects them with the ways of God, but his direction on being great isn't the normal way. Jesus says the greatest is the one who serves. The greatest is the slave. The greatest is a servant. Eh, I don't like that. Could you be seen as the greatest in that area? Could you be seen as honorable to God in that area? My natural response to when I read that or feel the burden of serving is, but, but, right? But some sort of excuse. I don't know if you can relate to that, but, but Jesus says he wants you to serve others first, and that's great. My initial response to that is, but don't you see others around me and how they're doing it to become great or get ahead or whatever? And choosing to be a servant, man, that doesn't sound great. That doesn't sound good at all. I think Jesus would respond to us the same way he did the disciples. It's not so with you. It's not so with you. But, but do you see how the, all these people post certain things on social media, get ahead, and they become great from that? Jesus says, not so with you. But do you know how they treat me? Like, I have to be harsh, or I have to be crude with them. Not so with you. But other people make these, these little lies to close the deals. I got to. Not so with you. But I, I won't get ahead in the office if I don't do it this way or act this way or do things this way. Not so with you. But, but I, I'm going to get walked all over if I'm not the tough boss or do it this way. Not so with you. But I got to be strong. I got to be hard. Not so with you. We're great at the butts. Yet Jesus drops the greatest bud after the saying. He says, for even the Son of Man, I did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus says it, and he models it. Is that seen in you? Is that seen in you? Are you carrying the torch of that, serving others? I don't know about you, but, but I want to be. I want my family to be, and I want my church to be. So how do we do it? How do we do it? Well, God has given us gifts. You maybe have heard of that in the church. Uh, things that are both spiritually gifted when you become a Christian and the Holy Spirit guides you in that. And uh, God provides you with certain gifts. But then there's also these things you're naturally talented with that you have a gift of doing. God wants us to use those things to serve others. In 1 Peter 4, 10, 11, it says this. God has grant, given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will, will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. The Bible talks about spiritual gifts and skills that if you know what they are, amazing. If you know what those are for you, amazing. Dial in on those. Use them to serve others, to carry the torch for others, to become great 
use those things that you know you need to do. The Bible has a list of those things. I'll, I'll just list a bunch of them for you. Administration, apostleship, discernment, encouraging, uh, evangelism, faith, giving, hospitality, knowledge, leadership, pastoring, prophecy, teaching, wisdom, mercy, ministry. Some of y'all hear one of those and you're like, ooh, that's me. That is totally me. Yep, I got to do that. Use it. Start serving others with it. The action is the greatness God desires from you of using that. But some of you are like, I don't know. I don't really know what mine is. Like, what should I do to serve others? I don't, or how do I actually use my gift? Or I'm not really sure. Like, it could be maybe this or this or this. Or I don't, I don't know if my gift is really that great. Like, I don't know if I have much to offer. Well, if that's you, serving honestly starts with showing up and being someone with a warm body meaning alive. That's how it starts. I've been hearing that phrase a lot these days. I don't know if you've heard that a lot with what seems like everyone is saying about like the labor shortage of what that's caused. Showing up and being a warm body, it does a lot these days it seems, right? It does a lot in the workplace. It's needed. People need warm bodies. But also in being servant-like, it's important to have a warm body, to be alive. My wife, she puts me to the test of this, of being servant-like, of being a warm body, uh, with this action. It's with her cold feet. Does anyone else, like, hate cold feet? And when I say cold feet, I mean cold feet in bed, and I mean when the other person's cold feet are on you. Anybody, can anybody relate with me on this? Like, every guy in the room? Okay, oh, all right. She always wants to put her cold feet on me. Eh. I fight it. But, no, not tonight. But no, I'm almost asleep. And then other times I choose to be servant-like, and I, I show up with my legs exposed, you know, like in bed. The warm body, it's an action I choose to do to serve her, which I think is part of starting to serve, again, is just showing up. Sometimes she wants it pinched, though. You know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to be dirty or anything here, like, but she just, she wants, like, her feet, like, cupped, like, Legs, like, pushing on it so that they're warming up. Yeah. <laughs> or a foot rub, like, is sometimes, like, what's needed to warm it up, too. That's another level of gross. Like, ugh. But that's kind of the second part of serving is being a warm body by showing up and then putting some sort of effort in. Some sort of effort on your part. Selfishly, I, I'm usually up for the foot rub because I'm hoping I maybe get a foot rub back. But of all things I dislike, honestly, I'm, being a little, I'm venting here a little bit, is feet. Feet are disgusting. They are so gross. I don't like Sydney's feet. I don't like my feet. I don't like your feet. Feet are gross. And they are always cold and dampish. I don't care what, what time of year it is. But sometimes she just needs a rub. She just needs a foot rub. It's been a long day, and she needs love. She needs care. She needs support. She needs it emotionally. She needs someone to serve her with a foot rub. Sometimes I need it too. But either way, we're both washing our hands afterwards because it's gross. <laughs> but I think that's the third part of ser getting started serving is, is show up, put effort in, and do something that is sometimes skipped over because it's undesirable but needed. It's undesirable but needed. Are you doing those things in your serving? Showing up to serve. Give some effort into serving, and sometimes just doing what needs to get done. These are three things, 
although perceived as kind of small when it comes to serving, are seen evidentially substantial in two scriptural examples we're going to look at. The first is with this guy uh, in the Old Testament. His name is David, who's this amazing king, amazing follower of God, and he's also an amazing servant. You, you've probably have heard of him if you've been in the church before. If you haven't heard his story, it essentially picks up where there's this prophet, Samuel, who is selecting the nation's next king. Again, this is Old Testament. And he goes to this household, and, and he picks amongst like multiple boys to be the king, and uh, David's one of, one of the options. But he wasn't even there in the room. There's like seven other guys all lined up, and he's like, nah, none of these. But do you have one other one? And David happened to be out in the field working, being a shepherd, serving his family. And he gets picked. He gets picked to be the king, can you imagine that? Can you imagine that, like, as a young boy, he's chosen to be the future king? Can you imagine the excitement? I'd, like, clap my hands if I was him. I'd be like, servants, start caring for me. You know, I'm going to be the king. Like, here we go. Well, it doesn't work that way for David. David has to go back on the living, as in being a shepherd some more. The next interaction we see with him is he's actually called by the king of that time, which, if I was him, I'd be like, ooh. What does he want? What does the king want? What does he want from me? To do something that everyone sees as really important is why the king's calling him. It's sarcasm if you didn't catch it in my voice. It's to play the harp. David's supposed to play the harp because the king's having a nightmare. That's why the king's calling him. All right. If you don't think that seems kind of insignificant, what happens next? You maybe heard of uh, the David and Goliath story with David. Well, David wasn't even a soldier or even invited to be at the battle before he volunteers to slay this giant, to slay Goliath. The reason he's there is his dad says, why don't you go and check in on your brothers, the warriors at war? Check it out. It's in 1 Samuel 17. It says this. One day, Jesse said, Jesse's his dad, Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and, and bring back a report on how they are doing. Did you hear that? David is to bring his brothers a charcuterie board of lunch, cheese, sandwiches, Hey, bros, how you doing? Dad said to give you this Lunchable. Hope things are going okay at the war here. Well, while he was there, he hears of Goliath, a battle with a giant nine-foot person, and that the war is at a standstill on, that no one will battle, so David offers to go and wins. David was the greatest Old Testament king of all time, essentially, but he didn't get that greatness randomly. David was a servant first. David was counter the ways people normally fight to become great, even back then. It's like he heard a voice that said, it's not so with you that way. It's not so with you. David puts to action the words of Jesus almost hundreds of years before it was ever said. David was a servant king and serving by showing up, putting effort in, bringing something and fulfilling a need, battling a giant. Are you doing that? It's almost a progression, right? Are you showing up for the person, the organization, the event, the need, giving effort? Do you, do you try? Do you put a little elbow grease in? Are you responding to what's needed when you're there? Are you filling a role that's usually not fun? It's not really that hard usually, but it's very needed. 
Y'all might be hearing this and, meh, this is like such a minimalistic, simplistic look to serving. You're right. But it's the path to true success, to greatness that Jesus talks about. Look at just a few of these quotes from really well-known people. Uh, Serving others prepares you to lead uh, or you to lead others. That's Jim George, but how about this one? The best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. That's Gandhi. Everyone can be great because everyone can serve. That's Martin Luther King Jr. Serving makes you great, it helps you find your strengths, and it helps you become a leader. David was great because of his service. He found out what his strengths were by serving. If he didn't start serving with the simple stuff, he never would have found out what his true calling was. He never would have found out what his true calling was. Do you need to maybe start with some simple stuff? Do you need to start with some simple stuff? What is that for you personally? Again, showing up, giving effort, fulfill a need. For you, what does it look like to do this? For maybe you, it's, it's maybe, maybe showing up to help someone move that's in your neighborhood or whatever. Moving what you can, even if it's the undesirable item to move. We all know what those items are. Maybe it's saying yes to, to being there 15 minutes early, putting a smile on, and even though no one wants to wake up early, but like you're there to help make people feel comfortable. Maybe it's befriending that friend that no one really likes, but you do whatever you can to make conversation, to make it work, to, to make this friendship happen, even though no one wants to befriend them. Maybe it's, it's doing that overlap job at work that like no one technically has to do, but you're doing it, you're getting it done, even though it's not really anyone's job. What does it look like for you to be a servant? Which brings us to our second story. And this time it's with Jesus. Jesus is, is hosting a dinner party, and it's the last supper before Jesus' death, and it's in John 13 too. It, it, we'll read it for you. It says this. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, one of his disciples, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. First off, this in our context, this would just be straight up weird, like awkward. Y'all, y'all heard me talk about feet already. No way, A, if you come over to my house, am I touching your feet? No way am I letting you touch my feet ever. Gross. Even if you do wash your hands afterwards, it's just not happening. But back then, it was very customary for a servant uh, to, at the dinner party or whatever, to wash the feet for the guests. But it wasn't necessarily the host's job to do that. And it definitely wasn't Jesus' job to do that. Not someone you see as Lord of Lord, King of Kings, God. Washing feet. Ew. This is as gross as it was back then as it is now. It was pretty low. But he does it. Jesus washes feet to live up to what he says in verse 28, the verse we started with. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life ransom for many. He modeled servanthood. For us, he models servant leadership for us. Jesus washes feet to show what acts are of greatness actually are of all time. What are acts of greatness of all time? Washing feet, or in other words, it's serving others. It's serving others. When my wife and I, Sydney is her name, she, she, when we got married, we actually washed each other's feet at our wedding ceremony. Uh, I don't care how amazing my wife looked that day. Like, here's a, that's me, but let's go to her. 
She's, she looks amazing, yeah. So she, she looked amazing. She smelled amazing. She was desirable that day. Washing her feet was still gross. Still was gross. And I still had to wash my hands afterwards. Do we still wash each other's feet regularly at home? No way. But we did it to show servanthood to each other. She washed mine. I washed hers. But we are absolutely all for serving each other in any way we can at home even if it means washing cold feet or washing wet feet. She serves me, and I serve her in any way we can. Jesus did it. He washed feet to show he serves us people. Are you showing servanthood to God by serving him? Are we as a church? Is your family? The greatest way I think Jesus tells us on how to do this is in Matthew 25, where Jesus talks about kind of final judgment of people. But he does it by talking about sheep. And listen really closely. He talks about sheep, and he talks about goats. Listen to it. It says this in verse 32. It says, All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at the right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick in, or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. And you know who was doing it? The sheep. The sheep were the ones that were doing it. And you know who wasn't doing it? The goats. The goats. Honestly, did Jesus know goat was going to be greatest of all time? And what our society says, no. But Jesus calls out the goats. Honestly, people who probably prioritize wrong things in their life, a lot of what we see as goats today, of let's be honest, stuff we do get sucked into today, of what we think will make us great today. Jesus doesn't acknowledge them and says, I don't know you, is what he says to the goats. I don't know you. And then takes the sheep, the ones who serve, the ones who did what the world doesn't really see as great, what was so for you, and says, you did for others, what you did for others is what you did for me. Today, when you serve others, you serve Jesus. If you're a Christian person, you should be known for serving. You should be a torchbearer of being a servant. How are you doing that as an individual? How are you doing that as a family? How are you doing that as a church? For you today, you might have had a, a wake-up call of being like the brothers who needed their mom's help to be great, and you just realized from Jesus that being great has nothing to do with being a goat in our society, but it's by serving, by being a servant is the way Jesus uh, wants us to be great. You might be like David and simply need to be a warm body to show up, give effort, help in some area that needs it. If that's you, you might not feel skilled in some way, but say yes to helping that person, that organization, that child, that cause, that need. 
You don't have to be skilled in a specific area. You might just need to be the person that does the unglamorous work and has a warm body and gives effort. Or lastly, you might be, you might be like Jesus. You know full well that serving is important. You know full well feet are nasty and serving isn't fun sometimes. But you do the act of servanthood because it's the way or so for what God wants. Choose servanthood over self-glorification, over self-gain, over fame. How are you doing that? How are you doing that? I was thinking about me, my family, and our church. And I'm always honest with you. I try to be as real as possible uh, instead of kind of, I like to say, vanilla. I never try to be vanilla with things. Uh, In my realness, it's a lot of times not as godly as I'd like it to be, uh, especially in this situation. To be honest, I want to be the greatest sometimes. I get sucked into desiring to be the goat in our society's description of of it. Like, I do get sucked into it. I want to be the greatest personally. I want the best family. I want the, the the smartest, the most athletic, the fittest, the most adventurous family. And honestly, I want to have the best church too. I get sucked into wanting to be the greatest church. Yet this teaching has forced me to rethink the greatest in God's definition. What does that look like? I was thinking, and personally, these are my examples. I want you to think about yours. But instead of me trying to be great personally, I can serve others to, to do better individually. I can help others do better individually, to guide, to offer, to assist. And the things that I think would normally make me great, I can help them become great in that process. I can share the things that I think I'm good at, maybe leadership or success, uh, strategies to succeed. Not holding back my secrets, but, but sharing them with people. That's, that's something I think I can serve in a way to make sure that I'm helping others instead of focusing on me. As a family, uh, I've kind of had this view that, again, this is my example, but uh, I've had this view that the world is for us to explore as a family. Like, this is, we get to use the world. That's what it's all about, to conquer and have as a team my family of three. But what if it's not that? What if it's, what can we do to give back to the world? Like, this one for me was, was environmentally. What can I do environmentally to give back to the world? Like, I know this sounds cheesy, but I'm horrible at recycling. But, like, what if I could actually serve the world with my family in just a tiny bit by showing up to, to recycle, by putting a little effort in to do it, and maybe did or sorted the stuff that no one ever does. But I started something. I started something. Wouldn't that communicate a message to my family? Wouldn't it have some impact that could maybe grow? And then finally, as a church, I want us to always be for others. Be for others. Our style here, our teaching, our preference, our choices are not necessarily what we would want or maybe what you personally want or what I personally want, but they're the things that work in Fond du Lac here and they're the things that God wants. Choosing not what you necessarily want for a preference for church, but choosing what will serve our community the best is serving is serving. What is it for you personally? What is it for you and your family? What is it for you and your church? As an organization and a community, we want to give you opportunities to choose servanthood. If you're a warm body that wants to serve, we would love to have you here at Center Points to, to serve in some way. When we started this church a little over a year ago, we, have, we had a lot of needs. Like, we're a little over a year now, and we've we filled some of those voids, but we, have, we had a lot of needs, and we still have a lot of needs. There's, there's a lot that goes into church. Video, worship, photography, speaking, marketing, administration, kids, content, prayer, sound, tech, website, finance, cleaning, connecting, setup, all kinds of things. Almost all the people serving in those areas today, 
one year later, we're like, or one year prior, we're like, I can't do much. I'm like, I think you could do this. And I want to say the church has been built on people doing the little things to have a big impact. We have uh, a few 70-year-olds that hold two or three babies each service so parents can grow in their relationship with God during the service. We have a few people who greet at the doors so it's not awkward for a new guest to walk in uh, and feel welcomed and feel that they can grow in their relationship with God here. We have some people who show up early to make coffee, literally to just grind beans, pour warm water on, and get a brewer going so that Aaron keeps the sanity, but, but for real, so that people have something warm and enjoyable to sip on while connecting with others. We have people who, who write thank you cards. That was something we did last week. Thank you cards so others feel appreciated in Fond du Lac. We have people who click buttons on a computer so that you can sing along to songs. These are all things people are serving in here at church, not because they knew they were extremely skilled in this area, but because they saw it was a need, they had a warm body, and were willing to put some effort into it. Some found they were extremely gifted in that area, and some were like, eh, it's not for me, and did something different. But the starting was the creation of a habit to be servant-like, and also what helps you dialed in on what you're gifted at. You can serve anywhere, right? At home, at work, at school, wherever. But as a church, we also offer opportunities for you to serve on Sundays here, to serve people, you, each other, and someone we pray comes that's new each week, to be able to help them take their next step in their relationship with God. We have people that serve. And we want your servant-like heart to be a part of that. If you feel fit, we again would love to have you. Uh, our Serving Sunday team, we call it the dream team here. We have over 100 people that are actually on the dream team already. It's amazing. Almost every opportunity that's here at church is on a once-a-month basis. You serve one time. It's on a Sunday. Uh, and we want you. We, we want you to get started with this in, starting in January if you want to serve and be a part of this organization. Uh, we're asking that you'd serve six times uh, for the next six months, from January to June. And six times, one time a month, how bad can it be, right? How bad can it be? So there's a card in front of you if, if you're interested. Again, no pressure. You can serve other areas too, but there's a card in front of you with different options, and it looks like this. Just check the hospitality, which would be like making coffee. It could be greeting, which is greeting at the doors. Uh, there's kids, serving in kids' ministry, holding babies. It's being with little toddlers. It's being with big kids. Uh, it's media, helping with the tech stuff, or set up or tear down, getting here early, not talking to anybody, but setting stuff up for everybody to enjoy, or tear down after the 1030 service, putting stuff back in here. Each take about 20 minutes. Care, you, you want to send prayer requests, and you want to make meals, or worship. Maybe you want to be on the worship team, or maybe there's something totally different for you. But grab one of those cards, fill that out, and you can put that in the offering basket. If you are pursuing to be great in God's ways by serving, and if you have a warm body, some effort, and are willing to fill a need, we'll have you here at Center Point. We'll have you here. As we close, though, I'm going to pray that I'm known for serving personally, my family is known for serving, and our church is known as a church that serves the Fond du Lac community. We're carrying the torch of that. If you want those things personally as well, and for your family and for your church, you can pray with me right now. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for giving us a clear example of why you want us to, to be servant-like, why you want us to serve. You see that as great. God, I just pray that you prompt us to, to be servant-like, whether that's in our personal lives, whether that's in our family, whether that's in our church or through our church. God, I just pray that you have us be more and more like you, 
one that's ready to show up, put some effort in, and fill a need. God, I pray that uh, you have us be willing to do even some of the things like washing feet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.